Welcome to the 13th grade. We're so happy to have you join us for this class on personal finance and home buying. Over the course of four weeks, you'll hear from a real estate agent, a financial coach, and personal accounts of purchasing a home and keeping a budget. All things so many of us would have benefited from before graduating high school. So whether you're joining us before your high school graduation or you're like me and still figuring things out in your 30s, get ready to learn something. Welcome to the 13th Grade Podcast, a show where we learn the things no one taught us in school. I'm your host, Rebecca Burrow, and class is in session. Welcome to the 13th Grade Podcast. I am here with my guest, Vineet Prasad, who is the founder and CEO of the Savings Academy, a really excellent organization that has helped me in the past through lots of different ups and downs of finances, and his tips have benefited me immensely over the years. And I will uh, turn it over to you, Vineet, to kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about Savings Academy. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you, Rebecca, for having me on today. I'm really excited to to join and and get to talk about one of my favorite topics, personal finance, with your your audience. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Vineet, for introducing the topic because I didn't even introduce the topic. <laughs> so oh, we, no, yeah, it's all good. You know, Savings Academy, it's it correlates to personal finance, so that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm happy to, to share a little bit more about Savings Academy and, and, and what it is and how, how I got here. I was very fortunate growing up that uh, my mom taught me really well about kind of how to manage money was a really good example in that. And and so as far as things like saving, how, you know, how to approach debt and various, you know, aspects of finance, uh, I had a really good role model and was taught fairly well growing up, which is not something I realized I was very fortunate to have that. And I really got into personal finance. I started to really enjoy it um, because it was something that I, I saw as, you know, when you get your first job out of college, there's a lot of fear, at least there was for me around like what would happen if I lost my job, you know, and I think that's true for a lot of people. And so personal finance became something that like, okay, if I can save regularly, I can create some freedom around, okay, I'll be okay if I lose my job. That's so cool. Yeah. And I'll share too that I think I was one of the initial guinea pigs before you went full time into it. And some of the stuff that I learned from our, I, th- I think it was like a four to six week engagement or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the stuff that I learned, I've still used and I found it super refreshing. Your approach to personal finance and savings in that it's it was really tangible and easy for somebody who at the time didn't have a huge income because I'm running a small business. And so you know, that's, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show. And I'm excited to, to listen to, to some of those tips and see if you can help some of our audience. And kind of along, you know, those lines of tips and everything, I did gather some questions from my youth team. And so one of the things that came up is they're really interested in is what are some things that they can start to do now as young people and even with like a minimum wage job, what can you save? You know, we've heard the old adage, like you should save, you know, 10 or 20% of every single check. Well, when their checks are only so much and they also have other things to pay for, you know, like what, what's realistic? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I think you're right that some of the like generic advice doesn't apply for every situation. But what what I would recommend is two things. The first one, I would highly recommend no matter how much money is coming in to make some kind of a spending plan, also known as a budget. I like the term spending plan because it's a little bit sort of more like proactive, you're in control, you're deciding where your money goes each month rather than budget is I think traditionally seen as this like restrictive thing that makes it so life is no fun and and you're you're like on a financial diet. So I like I like spending plan just because it's like, okay, you're in charge, you decide where your money goes ahead of time. So I would say definitely, you know, make a, a spending plan, kind of break it down into, you know, I like to start with like the recurring things, what are the things you have to pay for every month and kind of list all of those out and then go to like, what are the things that are uh, kind of more day-to-day expenses, like, you know, dining out, groceries, uh, entertainment, things like that. And then also what people forget a lot of the time when making a spending plan is to also factor in the things that are kind of more unusual expenses. Like, for example, and I call this planned expenses. Like, for example, if you have a car, auto repair is something that is not going to come up every month. But when it does come up, it's often big, unfortunately. And so just factoring in that, like, that's going to happen sometimes. And so when you make your spending plan, factoring in all those items and, and deciding where you want your money to go based on, you know, you kind of allocate all your money across those spending plus, and, and this is kind of getting into my, my second tip, no matter how much you earn, I would recommend that you allocate a certain amount to savings. Now, it doesn't have to be 10% or 20% at the beginning. You can start with 1% of your your income. You can start with a very small amount, but I think it's really important to build that habit of saving. And more, more, moreover, I think it's really good to build a habit of automatic saving um, and to have it such that, you know, when your paycheck comes in or on a monthly basis, you're automatically putting a certain amount into a savings account. And again, that can start really small, but it's about building up that behavior, that habit, uh, and then trying to gradually increase it over time, the, the amount that you save. Yeah, I think that's really wise. And something that maybe many people don't know is you can actually ask whoever's in charge of your payroll to split that up for you. So I could, if my employees wanted to, they could ask me to send 1% of their paychecks to a savings account that they never even see. So that might be helpful to some people. Yeah, that's a great point, Rebecca. And a lot of the people I work with do that that very trick. And it's it's a really it's a really good way to just okay, the money that comes into your checking account, if you you know usually you want to have a, a checking account as your primary bank account, that amount of money, pardon me, is what you live on. And and an additional thing I'll add on to what you said is I actually like this is maybe a slightly more advanced tip, but I actually like having three accounts. The first okay. one is checking. And that one is used to pay your like recurring like rent and utilities and your day-to-day expenses. The second one is what I call a revolving account or you that's for those planned expenses, like the things like vacations, mm. if, if you're planning to go on any like auto repair that when you figure out like what on average, how much would you spend on or how much would you spend on those in a year, typically when you're, when you're making your spending plan. And then, and then uh, you can figure out on a monthly basis, how much should you be putting in that account so that when those things come up, the auto repair comes up, the vacation comes up, you have that money there. Yeah. And the third one, which I recommend, you know, trying to build up over time uh, is an emergency fund, which you've probably heard people talk about, which is like 
that's money that like goes in and never gets touched ideally. Now, when you're starting, it's okay to just start with two, like a checking and a savings and know that mm-hmm. realistically your savings going to be used as that like revolving account where you put money in and then you have to take money out for, for things uh, as they come up. But eventually I recommend adding a third account that's the emergency fund that you never take money out of. And that's for, that's really for if you lose your job, right. you know, if you lose your job, you have that security there where you can live on that money for a while. So Savings Academy is a little bit different than, you know, other financial planners or advisors. And the team was interested in knowing a little bit more about your business model and how Mm -hmm. you make money versus how maybe other financial planners make money. Yeah, great question. So when it comes to financial advisors, financial planning, financial coaches, there's typically two models at a high level. There's either a like a a monthly fee model, basically. Also, it's also known as a retainer model, or you know, basically, it's you charge a fee to the client every month for your services, for your advice, for your coaching. That's the model I use. So I charge a monthly fee. The other model is a commission-based model, and that's used more often by financial advisors, people who who man- help you manage your investments. And that's like, they get a certain percentage of, you know, whatever you invest with them. And and I would just, my big recommendation is, is if you do ever work with a financial coach or a planner and advisor, just make sure you're really clear on how they get compensated. If they say that it's free, but they do it for a living, then just make sure you understand okay, what percentage of your, your, your money that you, you know, put, you know, give to them is, is going to them and what percent is staying with you. Just make sure you have that transparency. But I, I charge a, a monthly fee each month. It's month to month. So clients can work with, you know, can stop anytime, but that's how I, I charge. So I'm going to go backwards for a second. We talked a little bit about like saving you know, at the very beginning of your career, when you maybe don't have a part-time job or just a minimum wage job, are there any different pieces of advice that you would give later on in a career or is it basically the same or does it get more advanced as you go on? Great question. So the number one tip I'd have as you like advance in your career and, you know, maybe earn, earn more over time is avoiding what I uh, term as lifestyle creep, which just means mm. like what all of us, what happens to almost everybody is, is as you earn more money, you spend more money. Like it's just a natural, like, okay, your salary goes up by, you know, $5,000 a year, one year, you know, or $2,000 a year. Well, then you end up spending $2,000 a year more. And it's just because that's our nature as like people. We're not, you know, we're not like, thinking about savings naturally. So oftentimes money comes in, money comes out. So I would say when you get a raise, try to make it so that a significant percent, like maybe a a a rule could be half of the money that you get from your raise goes to savings and half goes to more spending or something like that. Because remember last year you were living on, you know, let's let's say this year your salary is $30,000 and the year after it's 32,000. Well, remember last year you were living on 30,000. This year mm-hmm. that 2,000 is extra. It would be very easy to spend all of it, but maybe take half of it and put it in, in savings. So, so, and if you continue to do that throughout your career, that'll, that'll really help. That's my biggest tip. Uh, I guess the other thing I would just keep in mind is that like, as you get older, like 
kids are really expensive. So make sure that you like plan out, plan out, like plan that out a little bit, you know, ideally before, but if, you know, if you're expecting, then just kind of get a caught sense of, you know, how much kids will cost. And then you do want to, you know, when, when you have access to a retirement account, especially if an employer is matching you on that retirement account, that's an amazing opportunity to, to like, oftentimes double your savings. If your employer, for example, 401k just being an employer sponsored retirement plan. So if they'll say match you on the first 3% of your income, you contribute, you put in a dollar, they put in a dollar, try your best to take advantage of that. Cause that's literally them giving you free money, which is great. Yeah. Free money that over time is going to grow. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, those are really great tips. And I love the lifestyle creep um, <laughs> kind of <laughs> way to frame that because it is so true. And especially like it definitely happens when you're young and you don't have a ton of responsibilities. You're like, wow, this is awesome. I can spend so much money on going mm-hmm. to Vegas when we're not in a pandemic <laughs> mm-hmm. or, you know, lots of other things. So that it's really good to keep that in mind. We can yeah. live on less and we should try to live on less when we can. Exactly. And, and there's, there's always somebody that no matter how much you earn and how little you earn, there's always somebody that's earning less typically and, and that's mm-hmm. living off that. So, you, you know, get, getting creative as well. I just mentioned like, doesn't have to be about like, okay, I'm going to stop myself from doing the things that are fun for me. Like creativity is a big part of personal finance. Like how can you enjoy yourself, do the things that you care about most in a way that's a bit less expensive? Like that's how I like to to frame it. Yeah. And, and also that goes back to your whole mentality of, you know, calling it a spending plan versus a budget. Like none mm-hmm. of this, this stuff should not be, you shouldn't look at it negatively. It should be this is what can give you access to do the things that you want to do in life. Which speaking of, one of the things that can give you access to like buying a home or buying a car is credit. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice on building credit and or fixing credit if it's low? Yeah, great question. I'll start with building credit. So if you can, starting, you know, to get a credit card when you are you know, really as soon as you can, as soon as you you feel like, you know, you can responsibly manage one and that you're, you're able to get one is, is a good idea because you start to build credit uh, from the first point that you, that someone lends you money. And, you know, the idea of the, the, the credit score is it's a number that, you know, people use to evaluate like, okay, should I lend this person money? And the only way they know whether they should lend you money is how responsible you've been with borrowed money in the past. And so if you build up a history where you take out a credit card and then regularly pay it on time, you're, you're in a good, good spot. Now, the thing I'll mention right off the bat is the biggest variable in the credit score is do you have any late payments? And so making sure that if you get a credit card that you're you're paying paying it off on time because if you don't, that late payment can follow you for a, for a while. In the credit score formula, they do look at like what percentage of your credit you're using, but generally, like the lower the better. Like if you've used up ninety percent of your available credit, you know, if you have a credit limit of a thousand and you've got nine hundred of debt on your card, they're gonna be like, hmm, he's 
He's really close to maxing out his card. Generally, if you're under 30%, so if you have a $1,000 credit limit and you have less than $300 of debt on your mm-hmm. card, I, I think that puts you in like the green zone, the, like the good zone. I, I, I mean, there's no harm in carrying a very a small balance on your card, partially because as long as you pay off the statement balances, again, getting a little technical, but the statement balance is like what you racked up in the last 30 days. As mm-hmm. long as you pay that off, every month in full, you won't pay interest. So it's okay to carry a little bit of a balance as long as you pay the statement balance. So the key is with a credit card trying to avoid paying interest because the interest rate is really, really high on credit cards and you end up paying a lot in in interest if you rack up debt on those cards. I do want to also just mention, because you asked about building credit, like if you struggle, if you apply for a credit card, and if, if it's your first credit card, oftentimes you can get rejected and they're like, well, because you don't have a credit history. And it's one of those many catch 22 things where you're like, well, mm. but I need, I need a credit card to build credit. Um, and what you, there's a couple options there. One, there are like kind of a, a genre of entry level credit cards or starter credit cards where They'll, they'll give you a really low credit limit, like $100 will be your credit limit or something like that. But but those have lower requirements. So looking for one of those like kind of starter credit cards, entry-level credit cards, if, you, if you're not even able to get it despite that, you can see if a parent or someone else that you trust is, is willing to be a co-signer, meaning that they agree that, you know, if, if you don't pay back the money you owe, then they'll pay back the money you owe. And then you're more mm-hmm. likely to get a card if, if you, if you, if you do that, but, but try first with getting one of those entry level credit cards. Yeah, that's great. This seems like a good place to take a break. We'll be right back. Getting on track with your finances can be stressful, but you're not alone. Savings Academy offers one-to-one coaching to help young professionals pay down debt, build savings, and feel confident about their finances. To learn more, you can check out savingsacademy.com and sign up for a free Q&A call with an accredited financial counselor. Finances can feel scary, but Savings Academy is here to help. Ever wonder why TikTok is so cool, or why you shouldn't say things like woke anymore? Knit Marketing's clients don't have to wonder. Knit's youth team brings a fresh perspective to social media, content creation, web development, and ad management. If your business needs a youth voice, head over to knitmarketing.com to schedule a free consultation today. So what can people do if they have a bad credit score? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. There's a few things you can do. The first one is if, if... First of all, I try to figure out why you have a, a bad credit score. And, and you can do that. Like if you get rejected for a credit card or something, you can ask to see your credit report. Or if you want to see it in a more simple way, I really like Credit Karma. It's a free service that I use myself where you can just, they'll give you a summary of your credit score and kind of what's going on. But it, oftentimes one of the reasons is if you have a late payment. So if you have a late payment, you can reach out to the bank, either call them or this is very old school, but send them a letter or, or an email to the, the, usually the best place to send it is the, the, the office of the CEO and okay. ask them for basically forgiveness for what they call goodwill adjustment saying like, explain like, Hey, you know, I missed this payment. Here's what was going on. I, you know, going to work on paying on time going forward. And sometimes they will, they will remove that late payment, they will stop reporting it to the the credit bureaus, which are the the agencies that, you know, determine your credit score. 
Mm-hmm. That's one approach. Another thing is, and these these are more just like maintenance, ongoing maintenance things, is you want to make sure that you keep you know, paying your credit cards on time going forward. So I highly recommend setting up auto pay so that you're automatically paying down your, your credit cards. And then the other thing you can do is make sure you keep your oldest credit cards open or your oldest kind of lines of credit open because there's one of the variables in the credit score is average length of credit history. And the longer, the better. They want to see that you've had cards open for a long time. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you don't close your oldest ones because if you if you keep it keep it open, then over time your credit score will you know get better and better and better as that average length of credit goes up. And that can sit open for however many years with a zero balance. Yeah, it could it could sit. Well, the one caveat there is some credit cards will close your account if you don't have activity in you know it can, for some companies it's a one year period and some it's a two year period. So one like rule of thumb to avoid that, to avoid your your oldest credit card getting closed and then your credit score doesn't look so good is to have just like one, you know, subscription or something like that on on each credit card and just have it auto pay from your checking account. Mm, Yeah, um, that makes sense. So that it never gets closed. That makes sense. And I, I should have asked this, you know, before we started talking about credit, but what just numbers wise, what is the range of good credit and when does it start to get scary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great question. So the maximum credit is 850, but anything above 700 is considered very good. I mean, anything above 750 is considered like excellent. Like you can pretty much get any, any the best loan term that you want. Anything above 700 is very good. Anything above 650 is good. You can't often get like the best credit cards or the best interest rates on a mortgage if you want to buy a home. Anything above six, 600 to 650 is okay. And then below 600 is where, like I think that's generally rated as poor. Uh, so so below 600, you know, you really want to see what you can to, to build that up. And know that for people who are young, like when you first start your credit, when you first open a credit card, your credit score is going to be really low just because you're not going to have any history, but you, right. you know, that'll, that'll improve over time. And, and it's okay if, if you, if you have a low credit score, if you have, you know, had late payments in the past or anything like that, like it's, it can definitely be changed as long as you kind of follow the best practices, like over time, you can definitely uh, increase it. Yeah, definitely. I can speak from experience on that. <laughs> As I mentioned before, running a small business is not always easy. So there's definitely been some low moments, but you know, keeping regular good practice definitely does fix that. And it doesn't take, it's not instant, but it doesn't take a ton of time either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I, I think is good to know that there is hope. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. You're you're absolutely right that over a matter of months, you know, the credit score will improve if you, if you you know follow the best practices, pay on time, you know, keep your oldest one oldest ones open. Try not to use. Ideally, you know, try to get your your credit utilization, which just means what percent of your credit limit are you using, below thirty percent. Cool. Yeah, that's great to know. Another question that has that came up, we were kind of talking about, you know, personal finance and how none of us learned this in school. You know, like if we were lucky, like you, we had parents that kind of helped us with some good habits, but that's, that's pretty much it. So what do you think if this, if 
you know, if we could write the curriculum for K-12 schools, what do you, how do you think that would benefit like students at an individual level having like a personal finance class? How would this benefit us if we graduated high school with some of this knowledge in our back pocket? I think if we had this knowledge, if everyone had this knowledge, I think it would really help with actually going a level beyond the finances. I think people would have more more in savings, but I think what that would lead to emotionally is a lot less fear, anxiety, guilt, shame that people like often feel when like the vast majority of us, like all of us make financial mistakes, but the vast majority of us end up making huge financial mistakes, especially in the 20s and 30s, but even some, you know, continuing into the 40s and 50s. And and those can be really painful emotionally and can also restrain, like constrict you from doing some of the things you might want to do with your life. So I think if we had good education, you know, we'd have more people aligning their lives with what's really important to them, you know, following their passions more, like feeling more confident about their, their direction in life because they wouldn't have that fear or that those constraints financially kind of holding them back. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. Imagine, <laughs> imagine mm-hmm. not having all that stress and fear. Um, exactly. The other thing that I think I wish we could change, and I think education would help with this. I wish we had more open conversations around personal finance. It's, it's like probably the most, or one of the most taboo topics. Like a lot of studies show that like friends in their twenties and thirties are more comfortable talking to each other about sex than they are about finances. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's pretty alarming. And even though we're so many of us are going through struggles around finances. So just, I wish we were a little more open about, you know, it's okay to say like, Hey, you know, I may not want to, you know, go to an expensive restaurant, you know, this weekend with, with my friends, because I'm, you know, trying to save money or, you know, stuff like that. But somehow that kind of stuff is, is taboo to say. Oh yeah. That's huge. And, and instead of being open to talk about it. Like if, you know, if your friends invited you out for dinner, you're more likely to put something on a credit card because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you, that you might not be able to afford because you just, you you don't want to miss the social outing and Mm -hmm. you don't want to tell people you can't afford it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's a really great point. I, I don't know how we get that out into the world, (laughs) but (laughs) But hopefully people can, I don't know, start to be a little bit more comfortable with talking about it because mm-hmm. like you said, we, we, so many more people struggle with this stuff than don't. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it really shouldn't be so scary to talk about. Totally, totally agreed. And you're doing a good thing here by, you know, this conversation as well as having other folks like, you know, I said, I think you said you, you will do to, to have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope it will start an ongoing conversation about uh, personal finance and spending plans. What do you think this that would do? Like if we all had a little bit more knowledge about this earlier on in life, what do you think, if anything, that would do on a at a macro level or how would it affect society or economy? Well, I think that we people would probably save more overall. Like if if we like learned about things like you know, how much investments can build up over your lifetime if you save, you know, when when you're young, if we learned about that kind of stuff, or how, how much like, debt can hurt you as you build it up, you know, if, if you have, a, there's a high interest rate, if we learned all this kind of stuff, 
I think people would, would, would have more in savings. I think people would be less likely in, in a, on a macro sense, would be less likely to stay in situations that are not good for them or that are not right for mm-hmm. them. Because I think a lot of time people are locked into situations, be they jobs or even relationships because of finances. And I think if everybody had, you know, more savings and just financial confidence and, and freedom and knowledge, then then they'd be more open to kind of do what's right for them in, in their life. And so I think it would I think it would help in a lot of ways. Okay. Well, Vinit, we're coming to the end here. And mm-hmm. this is a podcast for lifelong learners of many mm-hmm. different ages and backgrounds. And so I'm wondering what are what's one thing or a few things that you've learned throughout your career in life that you wish you would have known sooner? Sure. Good question. I'll share one that's personal finance related and one that isn't. The personal finance one is when I started investing, like, you know, once I had my emergency fund, putting more money into the, into the market, I wish I had, I had earlier known that like, oftentimes our emotions and fear can really get in the way there of like making sound decisions. I had in a situation where in 2016, like shortly after I had started investing regularly or putting money into the market, like the market had a bit of a downturn. I like totally freaked out and, and pulled, you know, a decent amount of the money I'd put in into, into the market, even though that wasn't my plan. And then, you know, the money, the mark, the market proceeded to go up for the next year or so. And I was like, Oh, oh no, I shouldn't have pulled <laughs> my money out. And since then I've been like, okay, I'm just going to come up with a plan and stick with it, even if I freak out, you know, and I'm almost just going to, I'll look at the, you know, how things are doing on a quarterly or monthly basis, but I'll just know, here's my plan. I'm going to stick with it no matter whether markets go up, down. So that is one thing I've learned and and learned the hard way, lost some money from it. And then the second thing that's non-finance related is just, and I'm still learning this and I'm still working through this is just being able to find like peace of mind and, and happiness, even if I feel like things aren't going well, even if I feel like I'm doing a bad job at something or something like that, like trying to have those be two separate things, like how, how well I think I'm doing at something and you know what my situation is versus like, how do I feel and how do I feel about myself trying to like disentangle those a little bit and just trying to feel um, try to feel good about myself, you know, just just regardless. And I think a lot of people struggle with that, and I definitely have. And so, trying to disentangle those as much as you can, and and to to stay, you know, in a in a place, a neutral to neutral positive place, you know, in terms of mood and and mindset, even when when things aren't going well. Gosh, that is so huge, and especially mm-hmm. in a crazy crazy year. I I can't tell you how many times I at the end of the day would say to my husband, I feel like I'm failing at everything. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and you're right. It's so important to be able to, you know, to pick that apart and say, okay, you know, maybe I didn't get up early and do the things that I said I was going to do today, but that doesn't mean that I am a failure. It just means mm-hmm. that this was not a great day and tomorrow I get to start over. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't have said it better. Well, where can people find you and find out a little bit more about Savings Academy? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. People can find out about Savings Academy at at the website, savingsacademy.com. And uh, people can reach out to me um, on, I have an Instagram at Savings Academy or Facebook 
um, page, LinkedIn also. And if you have a like personal finance question, I really enjoy, even for folks who like aren't, don't think they'd be a good fit to be a client or, you know, aren't interested in, in working together. Like I, I have a, a, a thing on my website that lets anyone schedule, you know, have schedule a conversation with me. And I enjoy, even if someone up front was like, I'm not going to work with you. I just have a question about this. Like I enjoy having these conversations with people. So if you're on, unsure about something or stressed about something related to finance, feel free to just schedule a call with me and I'm, I'm happy to talk through things and point you to some resources or, or recommendations that hopefully can, can help you get into a better place. So yeah, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for making that resource available. And to our listeners, definitely take Vineet up on that because his advice and his methods to helping you get control of your finances are super helpful, highly recommended. Vineet, thank you so, so, so much for your time today. This has been a really helpful conversation and I know that our listeners will greatly benefit from it. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Appreciate you having me on. The 13th Grade Podcast is a production of Knit Marketing. Music written and performed by Adewale Williams and Yusef Blake. Sound engineering and editing by Jackson Buhosh. Thank you for joining us and be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a review. See you next class.